Amen. All right, well, we're there in Proverbs chapter number 13, and I'd like you to look down in Proverbs 13, look down at verse number 12, Proverbs chapter number 13, and verse number 12. The Bible says, hope deferred maketh the heart sick. Hope deferred maketh the heart sick, but when the desire cometh, it is a tree of life. We've been going uh, over the last several weeks on Sunday nights over different issues of the heart, and we've been talking about anger and bitterness. Tonight, we're going to be talking about depression, and depression is not necessarily a word I like to use, but it's a, it's a word that's used a lot in our society, and uh, the Bible says here that our heart will get sick whenever there's hope that is Deferred. The word depression is defined as uh, to feel sad, gloomy, or to be discouraged. And what I want you to understand is that we all go through times of discouragement. All of us are going to deal with discouragement from time to time. Things are going to happen that are going to make us sad, that are going to cause us to uh, be upset. And kind of like bitterness, uh, we all go through times of discouragement or depression, if you will. But if you allow it to take root in your heart, you will suffer long-term depression or chronic depression. And there are many people today that uh, suffer these things. And I realize that our society teaches different on these subjects. And I'm not your doctor, all right? So I'm not advising you to get off of any pills or whatever without, you know, knowing your situation, although I don't necessarily think those are the the best thing and the best route. I do believe we live in a society that wants to fix everything with drugs, and we want to be careful about those things. If you're down, uh, there's probably a reason for that. If you're sad and upset, there's probably a reason for that. And all of us go through seasons of discouragement. But when you don't learn to get your focus right, it can be something that you battle with long term, on a regular basis. And usually the reason that our heart gets sick or down is because of hope deferred. The word deferred means postponed, suspended, or delayed. Usually when there is something that we want or desire, some outcome that we believe we deserve, something that we wish we had, but it does not seem like we can get it. Or maybe we had it and we've lost it, and it doesn't seem like we can get it back. And it could be a million different reasons. It could be different things for different people. It may be the fact that you lost a job or the fact that you cannot find a job. It may be the fact that you lost a spouse or the fact that you cannot have a spouse. It may be the fact that you lost a child or the fact that you cannot have a child. It may be the fact that, that it may be your health. It's all sorts of different reasons could cause you to feel hopeless. But the Bible says when hope deferred, hope deferred make the heart sick, but when the desire cometh, When that thing that you want, that thing that you desire for, when it comes, it is a tree of life. The problem is that sometimes, sometimes the desire doesn't come. Sometimes we need to learn to live with hope deferred. You're there in Proverbs. I'd like you to go to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 1. And we, we've gone to this story several times in our series and not preached on it, but just used it as, a, as an example. But let's look at it again. 1 Samuel chapter 1. Here's an example of someone who had a grieving heart as a result of hope deferred. 1 Samuel chapter 1 
and verse number 8. You can find all those one and two books. They're all clustered together. 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st, 2nd Chronicles, 1st Samuel chapter 1 and verse number 8. 1st Samuel 1.8 says this, Then said Elkanah, her husband, to her, Hannah, why weepest thou? And why eatest thou not? And why is thy, notice these words, heart grieved? And of course, Elkanah makes a stupid statement here, which is something that men do a lot, make stupid things and don't know how to comfort their own wives. He says, am, I, am not I better to thee than ten sons? And she's grieving the fact that she cannot have children. And he says, aren't I better than ten sons? And you know, the answer is no, Elkanah, you're not better than ten sons. She wants a child and her heart is great. But here we see Hannah who has hope, who she, she has the desire. She, she wants to have these children, but it's deferred for now. It's deferred at this time. And therefore, her heart is sick. Depression is something that is widespread in our society. If you, if you have not experienced it, you probably know someone who has. According to the Depression and Bipolar Support Alliance, major depressive disor- disorders affect approximately 14.8 million Americans, adults, or about 6.7% of the U.S. population age 18 and older. In a given year, that's a that's a big uh, stati- uh, the percentage there. Six point seven people uh, at any given time are suffering from depression. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, major depressive disorders can uh, develop at any age, but the median age is at the uh, 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 the median age at onset is thirty two. So if you're thirty two years old, you are right or around that. You are right in the a uh, place where most people who experience depression will experience d- depression. Uh, according to the Journal of the American Medical Association, major depressive disorders is more prevalent in women than in men. According to the Center of Mental Health Services, as many as one in 33 children and one in eight adolescents have clinical depression. According to the National Institute of Mental Health, people with depression are four times as likely to develop a heart attack So it does affect your physical body as those uh, without a history of illness. After the heart attack, they are at a significantly increased risk of death or second heart attack. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Hope deferred maketh the heart sick. If you can get when that desire cometh, it's a tree of life. If you can get those things to happen, whatever it is that's causing you to be sad. Sometimes people are upset because of their own health and maybe they can take steps to better their health or whatever it may be. Hey, that, that's great. But here's, here's the question I want to answer tonight. And the question I want to answer tonight is this. So what do you do? What do you do when you do, when you do not see any hope for your situation? What do you do when that situation that is causing you to have a sick heart, is causing you to have a grieved heart, there is no hope for fixing it. What do you do when that relationship is over and it's just not coming back? What do you do when, when that career, you know, it's been outsourced and it's just, it's just not going to come back? You're going to have to learn how to, how to do something else. It's just, it's not coming back. Technology has advanced. What, what do you do when you have the sickness and and it's it's something that's forever and you're never going to get rid of it and you're going to deal with that for the rest of your life you know what what do you do when hope is deferred but there is no hope of it ever being fixed how do you deal with situations that could develop themselves into long-term depression I mean, how do you deal with that death 
of that child or that spouse or that loved one or that friend that's never going to come back? How do you deal with those things? Go with me to the book of James, towards the end of the, of the New Testament. In fact, if you start in the book of Revelation and head backwards, you're going to go past Jude, 32nd and 1st John, 2nd and 1st Peter, into the book of James. James chapter number 1. I want to give you three steps tonight, three things that you can do if you are experiencing depression, if you are dis- experiencing long-term discouragement. And, I, and, and look, based on the statistics I read, there are people in this room that are dealing with it, or there are people in this room that will soon deal with it. And I'm not trying to beat you up. I'm trying to help you. But I'd like you to write these things down. And I'd like you to really consider these things in your own life. How do you deal with depression? Or better said, how do you overcome it? How do you cure it? I want to give you three steps tonight. Step number one, if you'd like to write these statements down, learn to be thankful for what you have. Learn to be thankful for what you have. Are you there in James chapter 1? Look at verse number 17. James 1.17 says this, Every good gift, every good gift, and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. See, no matter what we're going through, no matter what we're experiencing, as Christians, we need to learn to be thankful for what we have. Amen. There's always something to be thankful for. I mean, there's always, you can always, no matter what you're dealing with, no matter what you're experiencing, and no matter what that loss may be. And look, you, if you got up here and you took the mic and you told us your story, I'm sure we would all agree that that is a tragic loss. or that is very sad or it is very upsetting that that hope has deferred and it's not coming back. But no matter what you're going through, you always have something to be thankful for. And you need to learn in your life to be thankful, to put your focus on that which you do have, the blessings that you have been given. We should learn to be thankful for what we have. I like the song we sing. In fact, we should sing it after the, after the service tonight. But uh, I like that song, Count Your Blessings. The first stanza says, When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, name them one by one. And it will surprise you what the Lord has done. See, if you and I learn to take the time to actually, if you learn to take the time to sit down, if you would actually grab a piece of paper and a pen and and sit and say, I'm just going to write a list of all of the things that I'm thankful for. I'm actually going to count all the blessings that I have. And I'm going to sit here and thank God for it. It would help your discouragement. See, we need to learn to be thankful. We should be grateful for what we can perceive that God has given us. But see, we've got to take it a step further than that. It's not just being thankful for what we can perceive that God has given us. You're there in the book of James. Do me a favor and put a bookmark or a ribbon or a bulletin or something there in James. We're going to leave it and we're going to come back towards that area. But go with me to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter number 5. Ephesians 5, you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5. Not only should we be grateful for what we can perceive that God has given us, we should be grateful. Please listen to what I'm about to say. We should be grateful even when we, and the emphasis is we, perceive that there's something that God has not given us. Amen. When, we, when we perceive that there's something 
that God has taken from us or not allow us to, and we say, we say well, I, I should have that, and, and that's what I expected, and that's what I thought that I would get. Hey, not only are we to be thankful when we count our blessings, we should be thankful even when there are blessings that we cannot count, Amen. that we think that we should have. Are you there in Ephesians chapter 5? Look at verse 20. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 20 says this, giving thanks. This is a command. Giving thanks, notice what he says, always for all things. See, the Bible commands, it's not that if you feel up to it, you should do it. The Bible says we should give thanks always. We should give thanks for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, the, the, the definition of being ungrateful is unappreciative, not displaying gratitude, not giving due return or recompense for the benefits conferred. Our job as Christians is to have an attitude of thankfulness towards God, an attitude of gratitude towards God, where we can sit there and be thankful, the Bible says, always for all things. Amen. You say, how can I be thankful always? Even at the funeral? Even at the funeral. E- e- even during times of, uh, of e- economic uh, uh, crisis and, and, and things are not working out. Even during those times. It says always. Giving thanks always for all things. Go to Philippians chapter 4. You're there in Ephesians, just one book over. Philippians chapter 4. You say, well, why, you know, why, why be thankful? And here's what I want you to understand. Being ungrateful or being unthankful may be the reason our prayers are not answered. See, we pray and we pray, and is that not what Hannah did? She prayed and asked God, and God answered her prayer. And I believe in prayer. We ought to pray. And I believe that we ought to bring our request unto God. But notice how the Bible says we should do that. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6 says this, Be careful for nothing. By the way, right there we're being told, Don't care. Four things. And the word care doesn't mean like, I don't care what happens. It just means don't worry over. Don't put pressure on yourself. He says, be careful for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, he says, hey, don't, don't get too caught up in, in, in the care and the things of this world. But he says, you can bring those requests, those prayers and supplications. Notice he says, be careful for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, don't miss this, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. I wonder how many of us bring prayers and supplications to God, but we bring them with a spirit of ingratitude. And God says, I don't, that's not how I take the request. God says, you bring your prayer and supplications with thanksgiving. God says, you bring your prayer and supplication being careful for nothing. God says, you bring your prayer and supplication saying, God, God, this is my desire. This is my petition. This is my prayer. This is my supplication. But God, at the end of the day, thy will be done. Is that not how Christ prayed? Did not Christ pray, let this cup pass from me? Nevertheless, thy will be done. See, we must come to God. And often I believe that we pray and we seek for God to bring us and give us those desires of our heart. But because we do it with a spirit of ingratitude. God says, I can't answer that prayer. Giving things always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And let me say this. God is good to us even when we're unthankful. 
You don't have to turn there, but in Luke chapter 6 and verse 35, Jesus said this, but love your enemies and do good and lend, hoping for nothing again, and your reward shall be great, and ye shall be the children of the highest. He says this, for he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Aren't you thankful that God is kind to you even when you're ungrateful? Aren't you thankful that God is good to you even when we're not good to Him? But you say, what do I do? What do I do if I am discouraged, if I am experiencing discouragement? The first thing you need to learn to do is to be thankful for what you do have. You may want to sit down and write a list. And all of us, no no matter who we are or where we are in life, if you're saved, the first thing on that list is salvation. I'm thankful that I'm saved. I'm thankful that no matter what happens in this world, the next world is, is, is secured, that, uh, that my salvation is eternal, and no matter how bad it gets here on earth, we're never going to die and go to hell. I mean, that's one great thing to be thankful for. Amen. Learn to be thankful for what you have. But here, here's step number two. And uh, are you there in Philippians? Philippians chapter four. And here's the thing. I'm not telling you that this is easy. It's easy to preach it when things are going well. It's easy to be thankful when there's money in the bank, It's easy to be thankful when everything's going great. I'm not telling you this is easy, but this is something you have to learn to do during times of depression, during times of discouragement. You need to learn to be thankful. Here's step number two. Write this down. Learn to be content. Learn to be content. Now listen to me. We need to learn to be thankful for what we have, and we need to learn to be content with what we have. Learn to be thankful for what we have and learn to be content with what we have. Are you there in Philippians 4? Look at verse 11. Philippians 4, you know these verses. We've preached them before, famous verses, but let's look at them together. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 11 says this, Not that I speak in respect of want. That's the same idea where he said in Philippians 4, 6, Be careful for nothing. He says, not that I speak in respect of want. Here's what he's saying. The word content means to be satisfied, meaning I don't desire. I'm not in desire. or I'm not in hunger. I don't need anything. It's the same idea that Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That ought to be, the, that ought to be the, the way Christians live. We ought to be able to say, hey, the Lord is my shepherd. I'm satisfied. There's nothing I desire. There's nothing I need. If God wants to bless me, then I will be thankful for that. But there's nothing that I want. Notice what he says. Not that I speak in respect of want. For I have learned. You see that word learn there? See, we think being content is something that happens once everything is fine. Once all the ducks are in line, once our plan has gone through, then I will be content. But that is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible does not teach that you get content once everything is settled. The Bible says that you learn to be content. Because look, once you have the desires of your heart, if you don't learn to be thankful and you don't learn to be content, there are many millionaires here, uh, not here, good night, there's no millionaires here that I know of, but uh, if there is, we're changing, we're changing the sermon to tithing, you know? There, there's many, yeah, there's, if you're a millionaire, I don't know it. There are many millionaires in our world today that are unthankful, that are not content. Notice what he says, not that I speak in respect of one. For I have learned, then, notice what he says, don't miss this, whatsoever, whatsoever state I am, notice what he says, therewith to be content. Now, now here's, here's where it gets hard. Look at verse 12. For I know both how to be obeyed. See, here's where it gets difficult. 
It's difficult to be content when we're being abased. It's difficult to be content when things aren't going the way we think they should go. I know, but here's what Paul said. Paul said, I've learned. Paul said, I've learned. And I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. See, it's easy when we're abounding to be happy and satisfied and content. Great, things are going great. But how about when you're abased? Everywhere and in all things, I am, notice these words, instructed. You see, you see, this is not something that happens to you. It's something that you learn, something that you gather. He said, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry. He said, I, I know how to be content when things are going well and when things are not going well. He said, I know, I know how to be content when I'm full and, and, and when I'm hungry. He said, I, look, I, I know how to get excited. Paul would say, Paul would look at a, a preacher or a pastor and he'd say, hey, I'm going to get excited about the things of God when the attendance is up and when the attendance is down, when the offerings are up and when the offering is down, when things are going great and when things are going great. He said, because my contentment is not dependent on my situation. I have learned, I have been instructed how to be satisfied in Christ. He says, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Notice that word suffer. The word suffer in the King James Bible is not the same word suffer that you and I use. When we use the word suffer, we're talking about the fact that we're going through pain or we're going through something that's difficult. The word suffer in the Bible means to allow. Here's what he's saying. I have learned. He said both to abound and I have learned to allow need. See, we want the blessings of God. But whenever we go through times of need, we don't allow that. Wait a minute, God. I never gave you permission to put me through this. But you know what a content person will do? They will allow. They will accept need. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 7. If you're there in Philippians, you head backwards. You're going to go past Ephesians, Galatians, 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. See, you know what you need to learn? Here's what you need to learn. The grass is always greener on the other side. And that is just the truth. The grass is always greener on the other side. I get to travel a little bit here and there and preach in different places. And wherever I go, I always inevitably, and I'm not mad at these people, I, they're just people, but I always inevitably meet the church member who's like, you know, my church is okay, but man, if I could just move to this church, if I could just go to this church, that would be the best. I mean, that, that guy, I just love. But here's the thing. There's people in our church that are like, man, if I could just move to that church. And it's, all, it's always like that. And look, once you get to that church, you're, you're going to find that they're just people too. And here's the problem is that we always want something else. Now look, if you're in a bad church, you need to get in a good church. Obviously, we understand that. But we need to get away from this idea where we're always desiring. We're always wanting. There's always something. Someone else has it better than we do. Why don't you just learn to be content with what you've got? Aren't you just learn to be content with, with, with what you have? And if you're abased and you're happy and you're satisfied, and if you abound and you're happy and you're satisfied, are you there in 1 Corinthians 7? Look at verse 18. Notice what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians 7, 18. If any man called being circumcised, uh, I'm sorry, is any man called being circumcised? Here's what he's saying. Called there is talking about the fact that you got saved. You were called for salvation. Is any man called being circumcised? Now, you said you already were circumcised. And of course, this is not even physically 
possible. So he's just giving this idea to help you kind of see the mindset. He says, is any man called being circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. So well, how would you do that? He's just talking about your attitude. Is any called in uncircumcision? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. But the keeping of the commandments of God. Notice verse 20. Let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. He says, look, wherever God called you, wherever God placed you, wherever God has you, just learn to abide in that calling. Notice verse 21. Art thou called being a servant? When Paul was writing the book of 1 Corinthians and writing it to the church of Corinth, there were people who were in servitude. We don't have that today, but these people were servants. They were in debt or they owed money or they got in trouble or whatever it was. Notice what he says in in, in verse 21. Art thou called being a servant? Care not for it. He said, don't worry about it. Catch what Paul is saying here. He's not saying, you're a servant? You need to go picket somewhere. You need to go get in a rally somewhere. You need to get that law changed. Is that what he says? He says, art thou called being a servant? Don't worry about it. Care not for it. But if thou mayest be made free, use it rather. So he's not saying, hey, there's something wrong with trying to better yourself. He said, look, if you can become free, then great. Use that rather. But if you're called being a servant, there's nothing you can do about it. You're always going to be a servant. He said, care not for it. Learn to be content. Notice verse 22. For he that is called in the Lord being a servant is the Lord's freeman. Likewise also, he that is called being free is Christ's servant. Don't miss what he's saying there. He's saying, if you are physically a servant, realize that either way, realize that either way, you are supposed to be a servant of Christ. Either way, we're supposed to serve our human masters, as it were, you know, as if we were serving Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but we're supposed to serve God. He says, look, if you're serving a man, don't worry about it. You're already the servant. uh, You're you're already the servant of Christ. And you're free in Christ, by the way. And then he says, if you're free, realize that you're a servant of Christ. Here's what he's saying. Just don't worry about it. Now, if you can, if you can get free, but if thou mayest be made free, use it rather. So again, he's not saying don't try to better yourself if you can, but he's saying if, if there's nothing you can do about it, if you're called being a servant, then just, just be satisfied in the fact that you are free in Christ. Be satisfied in the fact that when you die, you will be free. You will be no one's servant. But here's what he's saying. But if you're a freeman, realize you're the Lord's servant anyway. Verse 23, you are bought with a price. Be not you the servants of men. Verse 24, brethren, let every man wherein he is called, therein abide with God. Look, if you don't learn how to be content in the situation you are right now, you will not be content in whatever situation you're in. Look at verse 27. Art thou bound unto a wife? Seek not to be loosed. Art thou loosed from a wife? Seek not a wife. Sometimes I wish that people could just spend a week or a month as a pastor and as a pastor's wife and just listen to the stories that we get to hear. And I'm not trying to pick on anybody if you've talked to me recently. But, you know, it's funny because people will come to us and they're so discouraged and they're so upset. And, Pastor, I just want to get married. I just want to be married. I'm so upset and so discouraged. I'm struggling with the fact that, that I can't find a wife. And then you'll have somebody else come into the office and say, Pastor, I just really don't want to be married anymore. <laughs> You've got women who are upset because they can't have children, and you've got other women who are upset because they've got too many children. You've got 
women that can't have a child, and then you got women that have a child, but they don't, they want more children, and you got women that got too many children, you want, you've got people that are upset because they can't get married, but then once they're married, they're upset because of this, they're upset because of that, and here's what God is saying, no matter what situation you find yourself in, learn to be content, learn to be satisfied, if you're not married, hey, if you're not married, let me give you a hint, thank God for that, that's where God has you right now. That may not be where God has you a year from now. But thank the Lord. Hey, thank the Lord. You know that single people get to go sewing like every day? Yeah. <laughs> and don't have any wife or children to have to care for? You, you're married and you have no children? Hey, enjoy that time. One day you're going to have five kids. You're going to wish somebody would take them away from you for a while. I'm not trying to minimize whatever situation you're in. I'm just trying to tell you that the Bible says that we need to learn to abide in the same calling wherein he was called. And learn to be content. Whatever the situation is. And you always have something to be thankful for. Thank God that you've, for your salvation. Thank God for your help. Thank God for your spouse. Thank God for the children he has given you. Thank God for the church that he's given you. Thank God for whatever it may be. But learn to be content. Notice verse 27. Art thou bound unto a wife? Seek not to be loose. Art thou loose from a wife? Seek not a wife. What are you saying? Here's what he's saying. Is it wrong to get married? Not wrong getting married. Is it wrong to get divorced? Yes. But here's what he's saying. Learn to be content whatever situation you're in. And if you can make it different, if you can, you know, like you said, but if thou mayest be made free, you're a servant, but you can get your freedom, great. Use it rather. Look, if you can get married... Great, use it rather. If you can have children, great, use it rather. If you can start that business, great, use it rather. If you can get that raise, great, use it rather. If you can get that promotion, great, use it rather. If you can get that house, use it rather. But if you never get it, if you never get it, learn to be satisfied with what God has given you. Go to Hebrews 13. Hebrews chapter number 13. Keep your finger there in 1 Corinthians. We're going to come right back to it. So do me a favor. Just put your finger right there because we're going to come right back to it. Go to Hebrews 13. If you kept your place in James, uh, you know, just right before James, you got the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13. So what do we do? What do we do when we suffer depression? And look, we all go through seasons of discouragement. And by the way, it, you know, in the Bible, you'll find the great men of God going through seasons of discouragement. You find Moses asking God to take his life. You find Elijah asking God to take his life. You find Jonah, after preaching one of the greatest revivals recorded in Scripture, asking God to take his life. We all go through times of discouragement. Hebrews 13 and verse 5, let your conversation be without covetousness. See, the opposite of contentment is covetousness. That's why you need to be very careful not to get around people that are covetous. Amen. I mean, I, I have seen covetousness take or covetousness, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, take control in the hearts of people. Look, you get around people and all they talk about is things. All they talk about is stuff. All they talk about is money. Be very careful because that, that, that disease will get stuck on you. You start getting around people and all they care about is money, money. I'm, I'm going to make a million dollars. That's my goal in life, to make a million dollars. That's a worthless goal. Amen. That's a stupid goal. You're going to be like that rich fool that dies. And where are you going to leave it? Why, why, why in the world would we live our lives to gain wealth and material goods when it's all going to get burnt up? Amen. When it won't last. Be very careful. Be very careful. Getting around covetous people. I remember 
I remember years ago, I was out soloing with a young man, and we were talking about how the Bible teaches that you're supposed to kick someone out of church for covetousness. And he asked me, he said, how do you know when someone is covetous? And I remember thinking about it, and I said, I don't know. I mean, you, you know, you can tell when someone's a drunkard, you know. I mean, if you get a DUI, if you lose your job because of drinking, if you lost your marriage because of drinking, you're probably a drunkard, you know. You can tell, obviously, when someone's fornicating, you know, if they're living together, they're fornicating, you know, whatever. But how do you tell if someone is covered? I remember just saying to this individual, I said, I, I have no idea. I said, I, I don't know. I guess God will just have to reveal it to us. But, you know, since then, I've learned that it, you can tell when people turn covetous. Because it's just, you get around them, that's all they talk about. You get around them, and all, all of a sudden, the things that used to be important, they're not showing up for soul winning anymore. They're not showing up for Sunday night church anymore. They're skipping church to work. They're skipping this. They're skipping that. They're not tithing. They're not. And here's the thing is I've just learned you actually can't tell when people get that love of money because the love of money is the root of all evil. And God says in Hebrews 13, 5, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content. Don't miss this. And be content with such things as ye have. He said, look, whatever you have, learn to be content with it. Whatever you have, I didn't say what you don't have, whatever you do have, learn to be content with the things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. What does that have to do with being content? Well, you, look, you've got God. Amen. When you've got nothing, you've got God. When everyone's against you, you've got God. When everyone's, uh, you know, doesn't see why you're taking that position, why you're taking that stand, why you're doing that with your children, why you're doing that with your family, why you decided to go there or move there or be part of that church when no one else understands, hey, you've got God. You've always got God. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. She said, well, what do we do? What do we do when dealing with covetousness, well, uh, dealing with, with depression? Number one, you learn to be thankful for what you have. Number two, you learn to be content with what you don't have. But there's a third thing I'd like you to notice. If, if you're there in Philippians, I'm not sure if you're in Philippians still. You can get, get back to Philippians. First, Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. Here's step number 3. Learn to take the focus off of yourself. Learn to take the focus off of yourself. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3 says this. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3. Let nothing be done through strife or, I want you to notice this word, vain glory. You know, you know what I've noticed in church world? A lot of things get done in church world for nothing, for no spiritual reason, just vain glory. That's right. Just to be able to tell someone you did it, just to be able to look down on someone who didn't do it, just to be able to boast about it on Facebook or whatever. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. Notice what he says. But in lowliness of mind, that term, lowliness of mind, means to be humble. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things. Don't miss that. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. See, please understand this. And this is, I think, the trick, because if someone walks in and they're just real boastful, Look at how much money I've got, and look at the vehicle I'm driving, and look at the house that I live in. You know, it's real easy to identify pride on that individual when they're being real arrogant. But here's what I think happens to a lot of people. They get confused, and they think, well, I'm just mubbing around. Well, it's me. 
How you doing, brother so-and-so? Well, you know, you got an hour. Nobody knows the troubles I've seen. How you doing, sister so-and-so? Well, you know. And here's what I think. And we think that's humbleness. We think that's being humble. But look, that's not being humble. Because guess where all the attention is so focused? Yeah. That's right. Guess who I'm the only who I'm the only one I'm thinking about? Say, well, I'm not being proud and arrogant, but you're still being pride-filled. Because it's all about you. It's all, and listen to me, if all your conversations that you have with people are about you and your woes and you're this and you're that and how you wish you had this and you wish you had that and you wish that, look, you are a pride-filled person. Say, but, but I'm not arrogant. You may not be arrogant, but the attention is still on you. And here's the thing. Being humble is not being down on yourself. Being humble is not thinking less of yourself. Being humble is not thinking of yourself at all. See, he says esteem other better than yourself. He says lowliness of mind doesn't mean that you, you think lower of yourself. Lowliness of mind is referring to the fact that you put yourself down. You become subject unto. You humble yourself like Christ did. Left his riches and glory. Why? To come and die for us. That was humility. Wasn't that Jesus walking around saying, well, look at how terrible I am. Man, I can't even preach to crowds like John the Baptist. I didn't make it in carpentry school. He didn't go around down on himself. His, it's just his focus wasn't on himself. Notice what it says. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man... Also on the things of others. And don't, don't miss this. Verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What mind was in Christ Jesus that he esteemed others better than himself? What mind was in Christ Jesus the lowliness of mind? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, the, high, the highest position in this universe, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. So was he down on himself? No, he told people, I'm God. I am the I am. But made himself of no reputation. And took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. See, this was God in the flesh. And guess what he wasn't doing? He was healing people. How many times do we read in the gospel where he's healing people and he's saying, don't, go, don't tell anybody. Don't, don't, don't tell anybody. He, he's performing his miracle. He's saying, don't, don't tell anybody. Why? Because he made himself of no reputation. See, the difference between us and Christ is when we do something spiritual, we want the whole world to know. Let me tell you how many times I went so many. How many times did you go so many, brother? You really uh, made of no reputation? Let me tell you how, many, how much time I spent reading the Bible. Look, I'm glad you're reading the Bible. You ought to read the Bible. I'm glad you're going so winning. You ought to go so winning. But Jesus did not go around doing things so that everybody... In fact, the Bible says he did the opposite. He made himself of no reputation. Took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You know what would happen? You know what would happen if you stopped focusing on yourself? And when you showed up to church, you showed up to some gathering, you showed up to work, and people are talking, and you just decide, you know what? I'm going through some stuff, and there's some things I'm discouraged about, and there's some things I'm depressed about, and there's some things that are heavy on my heart. But I'm not going to talk about that right now. I'm not going to think about that right now. I'm not going to focus on that right now. I'm just going to put my focus on you. How can I help you? How can I be a blessing to you? 
How can I pray for you? You know what will happen? You'll start feeling better when you esteem other better than yourself. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're almost done. We're going to look at a couple of verses in 2 Corinthians. We're going to go back to Philippians 4 and we'll be done. What do you do? What do you do when there is something that you desire, something you want, and it may be legitimately. Hannah desired children and that was a legitimate request. And God granted her that. But what do you do when hope is deferred and it's not coming back? And it's just not going to happen. Or you just don't know what's going to happen. Well, you learn to be thankful for what you have. Count your blessings, name them one by one. And it will surprise you what the Lord has done. You learn to be content with what you do have. You learn to focus on someone other than yourself. But there's a couple things we need to be able to do. Those are the things that you learn, but there, there's a couple things you need to be able to do. And just by way of conclusion, I want to give you two thoughts. If you're going to overcome, if you're going to overcome depression or discouragement or whatever you want to call it, clinical depression, chronic depression, we're going to have to learn to accept no from God. Sometimes we ask God for things. Sometimes we desire things from God. And they're legitimate requests. But for whatever reason, God says no. You and I need to learn to accept no Amen. from God. 2 Corinthians 12, look at verse 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 8. 2 Corinthians 12, 8 says this, For this thing, this is the Apostle Paul, and by the way, this is the greatest missionary I ever lived, man who wrote down most of the New Testament. I mean, you, you think there's anybody who has the ear of God? It's the Apostle Paul, and he said this, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. He's talking about a thorn in the flesh. He's talking about a physical ailment that's bothering and hurting him in his body. He says, I besought the Lord thrice, and I don't necessarily believe that he's talking about, I went and prayed to God three times. Would you remove this? I think he's talking about three seasons in life, three times in life where he decided, I'm going to pray and fast and ask God to take this from me and ask God to see, to see it from my perspective and to see how much more I could accomplish in ministry if I didn't have to deal with this thorn in the flesh, with this physical ailment. Notice he says, for this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, notice the words, if you've got a red letter edition Bible, the words are in red because this is what Jesus said to Paul. This is a response to his request. My grace is sufficient for thee. That's a real nice way of saying no. Lord, will you remove this thorn in the flesh? No. My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. You say, well, that's, that's quite a request. You know what's amazing is the response from Paul. He doesn't get mad. He doesn't get upset. Notice what he says. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I wonder what would happen. You know that one thing, that one thing that you just desire so much, that one thing that you just, I'm getting ripped off in life because I can't have this one thing, or I had that one thing and it was ripped from me and it was taken from me. You know what could happen in your life if you learn to take no from God? 
You may. You may just learn to have the power of God rest upon you. Like the Apostle Paul, because notice what he says, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Here's what he's saying, because notice verse 10, Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities. He said, that the one thing I was praying and asking God, take that away. He says, now I take pleasure in it. I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecution, in distresses. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then am I strong. And here's what Christ, here's what God was telling him. God was telling him, Paul, I can't take that thorn away from you because you don't understand, Paul. You think, Paul, you think that if I took the infirmity away from you, you would serve me more. But the truth is, Paul, that if I take the infirmity away from you, you'll serve me less. God says, see, when you're weak, that's when I can be strong in you. I just want you to understand, there are some requests that you have, and there are some requests that I have. That we come to God and we say, God, well, don't you understand? God, don't you see it from my position in God? And here's the thing, there's something you don't know that God does. God knows. And at the end of the day, we need to just be okay with the fact that, you know what? God knows. My grace is sufficient for thee is a good enough answer from God. Because maybe that's exactly where God wants me to be. Go to Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4. Say, Pastor, are we, are, are we in sin if we are discouraged? You know, I, I don't necessarily think that we are in sin when we are discouraged. Because sometimes discouragement is not something you can control. It's just things happen. Situations happen. You find out about things. You, you find whatever it is, and, and, and that discouragement comes upon you. But here's what I do believe. I believe the complaining that is a result of the discouragement is a sin. I believe the being incontent in or not content as a result of the being discouraged is a sin. I believe not being grateful as a result of the discouragement is a sin. Because here's what the Bible says, Philippians chapter 4, is the last place we'll look at tonight. Rejoice in the Lord Always. And again, I say rejoice. See, God would not command you to always rejoice. You say, does that, does that say always, like all of the time? And I definitely do believe always means all the time. But I think the idea here is also always, like the entire time. Wherever this life takes you, however things go, if they go well or if they don't go well, if things work out or they don't work out, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. See, God commands you to rejoice. The joy of the Lord is our strength. You say, well, how do I do that when I've got hope deferred? How do I do that when, when, the, when the one thing that's making my heart sick, just there's no, there's no hope of it coming back? Well, you learn to be thankful for what you've got. And you learn to be content with what you have. And you learn to focus on someone other than yourself. And all of these are very intentional steps that we have to take during times of discouragement. Or you will be the statistic of someone who's just constantly struggling with, constantly being bothered with. Look, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be known as that guy. You know, that guy is just like, man, don't even talk to that guy. Man, don't even talk to that lady. 
I just get discouraged being around them. From time to time, we need to talk to people, and we get that. And there's times for counseling, and there's times to speak with your friends, and we, we understand that. But don't be that person. It's just, man, they're just never happy. They're just always upset. There's just always something going on. Hey, be the person that can say that it can be said of your life that they rejoice in the Lord always. You know what I like about so-and-so? No matter what's going on in life, they're just trusting God. They're just happy in the Lord. They can always find something to be thankful for. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I, I realize that sermons like these are much easier to preach than to live. I get it. That it's really easy when things are going well to tell people, hey, be thankful and be content. And Lord, I, I understand that when we are going through times of discouragement, and we make jokes, but there are some really terrible things that people are dealing with. I mean, there are some really hard trials and tribulations and struggles that they're going through. And they can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. They really are living hope deferred, maketh the heart sick. And I understand that it's not easy to apply these things in our lives. But if we don't learn to apply them, we will live a life of discouragement. And Father, I just pray you'd help all of us. Lord, maybe we're going, maybe life's great right now. I just pray you'd help us to tuck this away in our minds. And when we go through times of trials, like the, like the Bible says about David, help us to encourage ourselves in the Lord. Help us be thankful and content and focused on someone other than ourselves. We love you, Lord. In your precious name I pray. Amen.